Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio Show number 322, The Psychology of Engagement, Lesson 101. Today we're going to be talking about the basic fundamental principles of psychology that drive this thing that we call engagement. And so to your host today, I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine the light on good practice and we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to engagesuccess.org and use the link at the bottom of the page, you can join our newsletter list and all our social media links are there too. My guest today is Scott Gould, who's an engagement author and consultant, and I don't know that he's going to be... So I'm not sure if Scott is going to be able to join me because there's been some problems with connecting. And in fact, I just got chucked out of the session as well. I'm wondering if Scott might be there now, though. So let's see. Um, I hope so. Oh, you are. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what happened now. I uh, saw you coming in three times with this and uh, we couldn't hear each other, could we? And then they kicked me out as well. So I don't know what was going on, but we're here now. So that's good. I, I can, yeah, I can hear you, although you are quite bitty. And um, anyway, let's skip over oh, that because I can. Yeah. Um, I can, okay, I can certainly make out. What, I can make, certainly make out what you're saying. Can you hear me clearly enough? I can. Yes, I'm going to plug myself into power because that might. Oh no, not the power into the um, direct connect rather than the Wi-Fi in case that helps. Yeah. It might be a bit echoey. Yes, to, so to all to all listeners, excuse this uh, <laughs> brief interruption. Exactly, exactly. I was going to say as well though that um, as a, a pro, as a as a um, veteran of this radio show, you're taking it all in your stride. This is, I think, your third go, isn't it? This is my third my third time. Maybe I have something um, good to say this time. <laughs> there we go. There, there, there's the old-fashioned British self-deprecation at work. Um, exactly. Yeah. So no pressure. So right. Okay. So start by telling us uh, a bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Um, so I've been um, uh, engaged with Engage for Success for um, coming up three years. That's when I first heard about it. I used to be a church pastor, um, which is quite a unique profession. That's not every day you meet someone who's a minister. And um, I stopped doing that um, four years ago, and I. I went back into consultancy and I was looking at a lot of frameworks and writing and theories and models that I developed, I guess, up until, you know, over the decade, up until that point. And I 
looked at what it was that I enjoyed doing and I found that engagement really summed up what it was that I liked, you know, the way that people connect to each other and then people connect in teams or with organizations or with brands as customers or with communities. Uh, and so that's that's what I do. I'm a consultant, an author, um, and a speaker, as I heard you saying um, a moment ago. And it's interesting because we obviously uh, regularly have people here who specialize in employee engagement because that's sort of the point. <laughs> um, it but is. You are, you are one of those people who actually you don't have that bit before it. It is engagement, as you say, across the board, whether that be employee, stakeholder, customer maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I purposely come at things from a different angle. Um, my approach is to deduce what, and this has been my research, you know, what is the mechanism of engagement on a psychological level, regardless of who we're engaging with, right? And yeah. my theory has been that the mechanisms of engagement between me and a brand or between me and um, a media asset Star Wars, let's say, a franchise, or between me and my wife, or me and my employer, if I had one, me and my client, let's say, my my kind of inkling has been that all of these are the same mechanisms, and it's just the context that's different, and that it would be useful for us to look at the mechanisms across all contexts, rather than just focusing in on employee engagement over there, mm. and then customer engagement will push that over there, and never the tween shall meet. I'm trying to bring it all together. Lovely. Okay. So we're going to talk uh, the basic psychology of that today. And um, I think yeah. I'm looking forward to it on the basis that, um, you know, th th there's a lot of discussion at the moment. In fact, we've got a show coming up in a couple of weeks about whether uh, we shouldn't be talking about employee engagement anymore, whether we should be talking about employee experience. And uh, um, yeah. so, <laughs> so um love the fact that we're talking about engagement, you know, full stop today, because actually I think you know we haven't really cracked the engagement piece and, and whatever we want to call it you know it's it's fundamentally what it is and and uh, so a great opportunity to precede the show that Emma Bridges on in a couple of weeks time where we're going to be talking about whether we should have a different name and a different concept so lovely so so let's let's get there then so what let's talk about the basics let's talk about what engagement actually is so engagement if uh, looking across the spectrum of literature has been around for 30 years and the earliest references to engagement within business literature um, actually seem to be to do with engagement um, what a lot of people know is user engagement people engaging with mechanisms and tools uh, so we have material engagement and then we have the idea of user engagement and digital engagement with actual physical products or later on software that's where it, that's where it originally was written about. Um, in fact, a lot of my speaking is at user experience conferences who are looking at user engagement, which is around the iron wage, and many people who listen to this wouldn't perhaps know even existed. Uh, then, um, you know, we we had the rise of uh, uh, engagement. Actually, in stu uh, we had student engagement was the next big one that came along. How engaged are students in lessons? And then eventually we came into this, uh, the work of the Ultrish uh, Management School that looked at work engagement. That then ended up becoming employee engagement. And then we have customer engagement, community engagement around it as well. In 
all the different academic fields and practitioner literature that's looking at all of these, the common thread I would say that I classify engagement as is engagement is togetherness. It's how do we look at the state of two things being together, which is they are engaged, or how those two things come together, which would be engagement as a process, as, as an aim. So employee engagement is both the end product, how engaged are our employees, or employ, you know, how together are our employees with us as the organization. Or we could look at employee engagement as a program to get them to be together with us or us to be together with them. And I think if we boil it down, that's a pretty fair analogy, really. Like two cogs coming together, that's what engagement is. I didn't realize it came from the um, user experience side of things. So it's a bit ironic that we're now talking about employee experience. So we'll, we'll, we'll throw that one out <laughs> yeah. then. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, it, 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 well, user experience as a field came after the use of engagement to describe what was going on there. So actually, you could say engagement predates experience. And in the way that I look at it, I think experience is a portion of engagement. Um, mm -hmm. But I, let, let's not get distracted into that uh, debate here. <laughs> so, what, so why why do we struggle so much with it? So, you know, we've been around for for years. We're talking about this stuff all the time. I think people are talking about employee engagement much more than than they ever were. Um, but it doesn't always feel like it, things are changing in terms of behaviour and that feeling of togetherness, maybe. And I don't know. Um, if that's something that you feel too, or, or whether I'm just being I, a bit cynical today. <laughs> I do. Well, so let all right. So let's go where let's let me engage with the direction that this conversation is going in. Um, by which to mean I say I will be together with you on this point. There we go. Let, using our definition. <laughs> I see um, what you did I, there. <laughs> yeah, see what I did there. I know. Yeah, I had to explain it just to make sure I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> it, in my opinion. Employee engagement is actually a bit of a misnomer. We are better off talking about team engagement, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, engagement is generally about how people relate to their managers and then how they relate to the organization at large. And there's that old saying, people don't leave um, jobs, they leave managers, right? Um, mm. In fact, McLean, um, McLean and Company um, have just released a thing called Engagement 3.0, where they talk about leader-driven engagement, where they're recognizing that actually the driver of engagement is not an employee program as much as it is it's about a leader engaging her or his team. And that will be the thing that creates the culture and creates those uh, leaders. Now, what we have done is we have rather gone employee engagement is this phenomena that happens in the whole workforce and we've had surveys well that's fine and then our surveys have developed into mechanisms for feedback and then those mechanisms for feedback have turned into micro surveys and micro feedback where we can take a, an engagement pulse on a weekly or even daily basis and we have sentiment analysis and we're doing all of these things and we've got all these techno technological solutions to the engagement problem as it were and i actually think a lot of it is a cop-out for not developing good leadership uh, you you know technology will not replace bad leadership and so i think very mm -hmm. often what's happened is organizations have looked at technology to help them with this buzzword um and we've gone in that direction like i say because we had we've had good service nothing wrong with the survey we've got the technology nothing wrong with technology but that those are only additions 
to support yeah. the core issue of good leadership. And you know what? Good leadership is hard. It takes loads of investment. It's, it's a lifelong pursuit. It's not sexy. And technology doesn't fix it quickly. Um, so I suppose we um, maybe, maybe, maybe we're in a false economy. I think that's probably where we are, in my opinion. It's interesting as well. I've been uh, hearing and reading recently people talking about the whole culture piece and actually saying, mm. again, that that's a bit of a, a misnomer in that culture for an organisation, you know, it's not the same culture across the whole organisation anyway, regardless of what you want it to be or think it is, because it's actually team-based or probably leader-based, which connects okay. very well with this. Well, I, I would say that culture... That there, there are in, in every client that I've worked with, be it uh, a small, you know, a small team of half a dozen, through to organisations of uh, ten, tens of thousands, millions of community members or customers. Let's say, I, you know, the Church of England is one of my clients. Is there is culture gets interpreted that there is there will be a, cult, a culture at large, um, and that certainly is the case. Um, so I understand again. You know, people try to shift the culture. I get that. I think that's really important to do. Um, but again, it, that takes a really, really long time. And again, trying to find a technology that can hack that. People talk about cultural yeah. hacks. <laughs> I think that's that's getting it a little bit wrong, right? Cultural hacks. That, that, it's, a, it's a long process to change culture. You don't just yeah. hack it and you're done. Um, so that that would be my take on it. Yeah, it is interesting, actually. You've just reminded me, this is one of my usual going off on random tangents. Um, outside of all of this stuff that I do, I sing in uh, a chamber choir where we sing in cathedrals, and we do maybe a couple a year. And um, so you just mentioning Church of England reminds me that we go to some, and they're very formal, and they're very much what I would have expected. And, um, you know, all of that formality happens sort of thing. And then we go to others, and the level of engagement from the clergy with their congregation is amazing and different and quite um, informal in some ways, even though they've got all the sort of pomp and circ of, of you know, running a Evensong or a Eucharist or whatever it might be sort of thing. Um, so it goes back to what you were saying, I think, about that whole piece about leadership, because they're clearly in the same organisation. <laughs> they have a culture yeah. and, and expectation. However, the way they operate in different locations is very different and that creates a very different experience for their congregation and for their visiting choir, I have to say. Yeah, well, the Church of England or religion in general, I think is always a really great thing to examine. You know, religion is incredibly sticky. It, it just doesn't go away and it touches upon the deepest parts of us as humans. That's where it's come from and that's where it seems to, uh, that's where it seems to be. Church of England, is a good analogy and also a bad one in the sense of it's good because it, yeah, again, it touches on those religious things. The negative is an organization will generally exhibit far more control than a church would. So the church of England as a denomination is very varying. You have high, high, high church of England that's essentially Catholic with bells and smells mm. and um, liturgy and things are read out of the book through to what's called, you know, new expressions, or more charismatic forms, or the idea of messy church. Now, I grew up, not in the Church of England, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. So when I walk into an Anglican church, as someone who didn't grow up in that, I immediately see the differences between that 
and the type of churches that I grew up in. So mm. I guess I can see that even in the variances of the Church of England, there are common forms of culture that do not go away. And so mm. I guess that would be perhaps the analogy there is that an organization in like the Church of England that has millions of members, even though it's very diverse, there still is a unifying culture that you can't, you know, you aren't going to break easily. Yeah. And then, of course, you have a culture amongst all the ministers. Um, yeah. So all the yeah, yeah. people who are, who, are, you know, who are priests, they have their own culture between them again. Um, but uh, I've got to stop, otherwise I'll end up talking about religion. Um, yeah, exactly. But, you know, in common with you know, with, with organisations, as you say, that there's, there's that sort of um, top-level commonality within an organisation, but it, it is very driven by each individual leader and how they behave with their people to bring us back to that yeah. piece about team engagement, togetherness and engagement. <laughs> well, well, in the Church of England and indeed many denominations, the local minister is given authority to do as he or she sees fit within the framework and the parameter of the Church of England. Okay, um, so you won't have them stepping outside of certain boundaries, but that you know they have certain liberty. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, many organisations will allow that empower their leaders to get on and do things the way that they see fit, and that's good. But also, it can be bad, right? There are drawbacks to that. So there can be a lack of consistency. There, at the extreme, there can be siloization. Um, you know, this terrible thing <laughs> where mm-hmm. whole divisions operate completely differently and there's no mm-hmm. sense of trying to bring it all together and that's actually unproductive so there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a there's a middle there's a middle sweet spot isn't there um and yeah. i think it's really important to be singing off the same hymn sheet to use a very fortunate <laughs> metaphor uh yeah, very good on there um but but to allow leaders to lead in the style that they have and of course that's what that's what good leadership is good leadership Mm. empowers the leaders that you lead to lead in the way that they do best but in Mm. order that you might achieve the same goals so you've got issues in the church of england that because it is so diverse that fragmentation makes it very hard for them to move forward um 85 percent of their churches have no one in them under the age of 50 there's a real issue there with an aging congregation and many Mm. ministers Mm because they're allowed autonomy and they have a vote, this is democracy, but a negative would be they don't perhaps necessarily feel an urgent sense of needing to fix that. They mm-hmm. maybe aren't obliged to. Maybe they don't like some of the new methods. Whereas in a company or, um, you know, uh, or you know, most public sector organizations, we actually have got some sense of uh, governance that is stricter mm-hmm. and therefore forces us into uh, you know, a better direction. Mm. So... Changing the subject a bit, you um you launched an assessment uh, over a year ago. I think we talked about this on the yes. last show that you came on. I did, uh, and, I did. I did. Um, tell, tell us a bit about how, how that process um, worked and where you are with it now. Yeah, well, so I've um I've, I've had hundreds of people um, re- respond to this assessment, um, closing in on a thousand, and it's a really it's been really fascinating. I mean, I won't go too much into what the assessment does. It is the self-assessment. So it's not a survey that you pass out to employees, but it is a it's 12 questions based off of my work and a framework that that it's interchangeable. So you can um, it could be about how engaging your work is for your employees or around a particular change initiative or for customers or for users or communities. So it's kind of like a white label tool. And in it, I've looked at the different mechanisms of engagement and asked questions. And what I found is there's a particular area where people in general are scoring quite low. And that's just very interesting for me. And it's the area that we would talk about 
as we talked about in the, in the beginning, it's the experiential element where people aren't doing as well. Mm. So I ask questions about how much do you try to create key moments of interaction? How much do you endeavor to engage people's senses? How much do you try to uh, create a sense of you know, social connectedness? How much do you try to create a sense of identity and emphasize that? Things like this. And that's where people are scoring low. Mm. Or rather, they are self-assessing themselves as low. And I think that's probably actually quite accurate, is they're good at engagement as communication in general. They're, you know, they're okay. They're also quite good at engagement in the idea of deep engagement that really empowers you. Where they're struggling is this middle bit of engaging people's senses in an experiential way. So it's ironic, really, that we're talking about employee experience. That does seem to be the thing that people are finding the hardest from my research. And that, by the sound of it, that comes back again to the leadership uh, skills and abilities. It's it's the, the in-person teaching people as individuals piece part of it. Is, is that the case, as we would talk about in our four enablers? Um, I, I will, yes. I mean, yeah, if you take a look at the four enablers, it's right there, isn't it? And I would agree with that. There's something around leaders being able to engage at an authentic and experiential way with just using their words. Um, mm. So let me, I mean, let me, uh, I, I, I'll share a little story. I have a group of, uh, I have a group of friends, all of whom are experienced designers. They design customer experiences and employee experiences, these very grand immersive things that you go to in person and your senses are titillated. And these people are fantastic at doing it with the things that they make. But I set, I set them a challenge. I said, can you create a powerful experience just using your words? So you've got no ability to change the environment, just you and me. Can you use your words to really connect to me and bond to me? And, and many of them found that quite, quite difficult. Hmm. And, 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 and this, this is the challenge, is that we, for all of our talk of engagement, I think perhaps we are still actually poor at engaging with the person in front of us in an authentic, real manner. And if we can't do that well, then orchestrating a powerful ex workplace experience is, is, yeah. is, is a bit false. It's saying, I'm going to do at scale what I can't do intimately one-on-one -on -one with the simplest of tools, which would be language. Mm. Yeah, and I guess a lot of organisations are, are, are um, creating programmes and, and making witty things happen to say that they've got engagement stuff going on. And actually, however much you do that, if you haven't got managers who can have those, as you say, in-person, one-to-one conversations and create that, that feeling, that feeling of togetherness, then those big programmes presumably you know, can only ever be sort of sticking faster. Yeah, yeah that's it. They're, they're Like I said, it's doing at scale what you can't do at low scale. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it, it just doesn't work. It's, it's a false economy. Um, it is, it is pr it's printing money, but actually you're just going to run up the inflation. Um, recently, I got to witness a superb piece of leadership just using silence and language. I was working with a team. The team was going through some difficult change. Uh, a physical change in the team was happening in terms of where they were working. So it was change management. There had also been some um, structural changes. Some people had changed. 
And there was one particular team that was really at the thin end of the wedge and they were finding things very difficult. And I watched this leader. She wasn't the main leader. She was just one of the, the team. She, she had this sub team in front of her. She listened to the things that they were saying that were irking them. She didn't interrupt. And after they'd spoken, she said, I'm really sorry to hear that. And then she leant in with her body and said, I am very sorry. And I'm, today in this meeting, we're going to find ways to fix this. And they did. And there are mm-hmm. two things that she did that I have, I regularly witness, witness leaders not doing. And it, it's crazy that leaders don't do this. Number one, listening without interrupting. <laughs> and then number two, being willing to connect to someone's emotions rather than just thinking that if you said it and you feel you said it well, then that's enough. Mm. Now, I, <laughs> yeah, please, yeah, go for it. Well, I was just going to say, I do wonder in these days of, I don't know, litigation, social media, media, whether that piece about connecting with people's emotions and being honest with people and acknowledging and all those other things becomes harder and harder because sometimes people don't say things because they don't want to, uh, you know, cause an issue from a sort of um, responsibility point of view for the organisation and things like that. And I, you know, I do wonder the more that uh, stuff becomes seemingly transparent because of all the hype that can happen around media and discussions about things and everything else, whether people actually are less inclined and less likely to be doing the things that that you know for that for that leader to say i'm sorry that's sort of admitting some sort of liability in the big wide world of scary horrible media isn't it and that that shouldn't be the case but it can be can't it do you think that stops people i think it does i i can understand that as a concern by and large from what i see it's not a concern of that that's preventing them it is poor practice and interpersonal skills it's just simply that this same mm. leader i meant that i've just praised i had sat down with her a few weeks before where on this change somebody in her team had emailed her lots of concerns she said to me so what do i email and why i said well you don't email you meet up with this person <laughs> face to face yeah so she herself as superb as she was a couple of weeks later a couple of weeks before she was going to get into a flame war on, e- on, on yeah. email about something rather than sitting down and working through it in person. Not because she was a yeah. bad leader, it's just because her practice had been forgotten. Why? Because we are so, we're high into tech, we perhaps don't like conflict so much, and we, we generally just don't take the time to slow down and manage by walking around, right? yeah. actually being, yeah. with, being with people. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just not rocket science. I, I, I work with some great leaders who, who I have to regularly remind. Don't, you interrupted so many times in that meeting. Um, and it's, or, you know, you spoke, but you didn't connect. And it's not for fear. It's just because they aren't slowing down mm, and mm. thinking about getting deep. They're just trying to cover the agenda. It's, it's the thinking that, if I've picked everything off the agenda and I think I've communicated it, then then they've heard it. But of course, communication isn't said; it's what's heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they seem wow. to forget that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've we've almost run out of time. We've only got two and a half minutes left. <laughs> this has gone so quickly. You're gonna have to come back for a fourth time, Scott. <laughs> um, well, so, what, what's your last couple of minutes for the audience? 
Well, so here, here is the thing. The reason why getting experiences like these wrong, even just on a small level of conversation and language, is these are the moments where because they are experiences, because somebody's senses are engaged by the way that you're listening or that you're speaking well, and, and you know, maybe a touch on the shoulder or a look in the eye, that thing that really connects, all of that opens up people's um, neurotransmitters to actually learn and to be open and to remember. It, those, it's moments like those that make us the most open to be deeply engaged. And so we mm-hmm. are trying to engage people deeply without actually walking through the door by which we are engaged. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Inception, that is the way behavior has changed, is powerful emotional experiences are created that are enough to shift a slight change in our mindset. And what we don't do at work very often is actually create these emotional moments that open up the neurotransmitters to make a change. Rather, what we do is we bluntly go in trying to think that just facts and figures are going to win the day, right? Actually, no, it's stories that win the day. It's these emotional moments. And it concerns me that we're missing that. It concerns me, and I think, actually, by and large, it's a lack of humanity. And we're, racing, we're going to the races trying to get employee experience all working. We can't, e- we can't even listen to somebody without interrupting them. <laughs> it's not going to work. No. Every time you said that through the interview, I thought, I better not like speak now because I might interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> I, can I can feel you doing it. I know. Um, but it's actually really hard. It's really hard. <laughs> It's been really interesting talking to you as usual, oh, Scott. And yes, joy. please do come back. Please do come back. <laughs> <laughs> All the best, Joe. Cheers. And cheers to everyone who's listening. And just so you know what's happening next week, I'm not entirely sure. I think Joe and I are going to do a show together. Um, we've had a bit of a shift around on our guests. And so we're going to come and talk to you next week. And we'll talk a bit about our new um, volunteer hubs that we've talked about in the newsletter. So look forward to catching you then. Engage for Success Radio. Raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.